Welcome to the Learning Reinvented podcast brought to you by myself, James Politilo. And Katie Godden from The Learning Effect. There are lots of learning podcasts out there, so we wanted to do something slightly different. This week, we wanted to explore what really is the role of modern learning and development. I'm delighted to welcome Chrissy Billingham to the podcast. Thank you for joining us, Chrissy. Do you want to introduce yourselves and tell our listeners a little bit about you? Yeah, hi everybody. Thanks for having me, Katie James. I'm Chrissy, Chrissy Billingham, um, and I'm the Senior Director of Client Experience um, here at Degreed, covering EMEA and APAC. Um, so I've spent probably the last 20 years of my career um, in learning and development, and probably the last 15 of those in learning tech. Um, I'm not a technologist, but my role has been to use technology to drive cultural change across a number of large corporate organisations. Um, and now vendor side with Degreed. Thanks, Chrissy. It's great to have you on the podcast. So over the last few years, we've been seeing a lot of conversation about the need for learning teams to change how they work and how they operate. But what we wanted to talk about really is what does that actually mean? So Chrissy, yeah. what do you think is the role of a, an L&D team? So I think it's a really interesting question. And I think, like you say, James, it's evolved so significantly over the past few years. You know, like if I think back to when I first joined training, as we would call it back then, you know, we were all about face-to-face classroom-based training, leadership programmes and focusing on our talent development um, cohorts and, and kind of elite programmes. And I think, you know, if I reflect now, where I see L&D teams and where I see them being the most strategic and playing the most significant parts with the biggest impact is where those teams are really focusing on the skills agenda within their organisation and aligning commercially too. Um, so, you know, L&D people have been learning professionals that do kind of business application off the side of their desks. And I see that evolving to becoming the opposite. So business experts that focus on L&D and have L&D as a specialism. That's not to say that L&D specialists are a thing of the past because they're absolutely not. But for me, the mindset of L&D has to shift away from training and development in itself being isolated to something that is really aligned to the organization's corporate and strategic goals. What I mean by that is, you know, where's your organization going? What are the things that they're trying to achieve? And how as an L&D function can you enable that and empower it? So think about the skills within your organization, the skills that you have now, the skills that you might need in the future, how do you align that to your organisational strategy and how as an L&D team do you close the gap between the two to drive commercial advantage for your organisation and the people that work there? Um, as a high level, I kind of think there's a lot of words um, to describe a more commercially focused L&D function that's driving the organisational agenda as opposed to just delivering training. And I think you covered, you know, lots and lots of different things there. And I think if we roll back to, you know, again, where we started in training, L&D, development, whatever you want to call it. At that time, lots of organisations, as you said, it was about course, it was about programmes. And that's really because I, th I think a number of factors to me as to why that happened, because you had organisations that weren't really taking learning and development seriously as a whole. It was for an elite or a set of people. Therefore, if you weren't in your induction or if you weren't on a high paid programme, you were probably maybe doing some compliance learning and the rest of it was just 
leave the organization to get on with it yeah. so you know that was one approach at the other end you had organizations that were trying to set sort of frameworks and purpose and you know I've, I've probably developed more competency frameworks than i would like to admit to over the course of my career but you're you're trying to create some level of guidance for people so that they can self-manage a little bit because you're trying to close that gap between what i do now what i could do better and how that will impact performance but we didn't often have great tools or we were you know we're trying to do it in different ways so i think lots of different factors in how that came to happen in organizations katie what are your thoughts i completely agree i think um we need, we do need to change how we're we're kind of thought of as learning uh, professionals within it within an organization because like you both said traditionally people are there to kind of take orders and they deliver training but that's not actually sometimes they're not actually linked to business needs and requirements so you're not actually helping the business um move forward and and progress Whereas we need to kind of focus on those bits that will actually improve business. Yeah, and, and that's the, the point for me is, you know, what can L&D teams do that are aligned to organisational strategy that improve business? We're not just there, Casey, like you say, you know, to kind of take orders from the business around, you know, are oh, in sales, we think our teams need more commercial skills or in, you know, um, HR, they need more relationship management process or whatever. It is. And that for me is where L&D teams are starting to elevate so well. And I'm seeing it across our clients here at Agreed, you know, they're elevating to the point where they're having those conversations, which are, you know, what are the critical things that this organisation needs to be better at in order to win or in order to be different or in order to, to achieve more, whatever that looks like. And I think L&D teams are really stepping up to that mark in terms of having a seat at that table, being credible, being commercial um, and being really seen as parts of the organisation that add significant value through people. Um, if I reflect when I first came into L&D, my nervousness was really, do I want to go into L&D? Because from what I've seen so far, they're the people who go first if there's a challenge or a difficulty within the organisation. And what I see now is that L&D teams add so much significant value. They're the ones the organisation goes to first to say, we're in this situation. We need to change X, Y or Z. How can you help us to do that? better, faster, quicker, more effectively, as opposed to, oh no, they're an expense, what are we going to do with them type thing? Yeah, I think the last year has really highlighted where organisations see their L&D teams. You know, some people were in looking at, you know, business restructuring, reorg, how are we going to work differently? How are we going to service our customers differently? How are we going to change our business model? Suddenly this yeah. revenue stream's dried up here in the business and everyone's got to focus on you know at home revenue maybe where all of your you know public uh, sales channels or whatever it happened to be in your business so it was huge amounts of change in business and we saw really different approaches to L&D teams so you saw those that were part of that you saw people in those decision making meetings rolling stuff out being almost part of that channel of communication into employees as well as as not just learning then you saw sort of what I'd call the middle ground of people who went, we've got a load of people here who are sat at home and maybe not being as productive as possible. So let's put in a learning system or let's throw them some content or let's try and keep them busy. And, you know, I think there was some good intentions there, 
but maybe not as thought through. And then we had right at the other end, we had people who've been on furlough for, you know, over a year, possibly even longer. And their organisations just went, okay, learning, as you said, you're an expense, you're not going to add any value, yeah. you're not in the classroom. Our people maybe are on furlough as well. And it's it's interesting, we're starting to see some of those things pop up in industries where, and I think Katie and I had this conversation right at the beginning of going whacking a load of people on furlough and not keeping in touch with them is dangerous because yeah. are they going to be there when you want them and need them to come back? You've got to manage and maintain and care for those people, whether they're on your premises performing work or whatever, they're still you've still got a duty of care to them and an and employer employee relationship. So learning was potentially critical during that time, but lots of the learning profession were absent because their organisations decided they weren't needed. Yeah, and I think you, um, we saw this with a lot of our clients and, you know, friends that I have who work in the industry, you know, we had a, a combination, I would say, of clients who um, pivoted. So, you know, they had all these people that they put onto furlough, but actually, what they did instead of just saying okay we need to furlough all of this workforce because they can't do their jobs they did a great job of, of pivoting with that workforce and saying okay you can't go and work in that environment so what could we skill you to do instead you know to keep you in the workplace to keep you you know adding value for this organization but also adding value for yourself personally so we had a lot of clients who kind of looked at, at how they could pivot to do that um and using products to to drive that forward was an easy thing to do, right? Or an easier thing to do than it perhaps would have been before. But the other thing that we saw too, and I talk about this a lot, or it feels like I talk about this a lot, is, you know, we've been in this industry long enough to have seen this evolution. We've heard for at least the last, the last five or 10 years, organisations talking about, you know, this need to reskill, this need to use technology to drive more effective learning. And we all talk a great game, but one of the biggest positives for me that's come from coronavirus and everything that came along with that was the speed at which our industry accelerated, the speed at which our clients came away from this perfectionism that they were trying to drive. You know, we had clients, a big pharma organisation I was working with at the time, a big IT consultancy I was working with at the time, literally overnight, be like we need to flip the switch tomorrow on our degreed launch um, but previously to that they were like four to six weeks away from being perfect or from their product being perfect and they saw you know actually this is not about perfectionism this is about getting to our people at point in the flow of work and so we're going to run with what we've got we're going to run with it as an mvp we're going to turn it on we're going to connect our people to each other we're going to connect our people to content and we're going to connect people to our organization and we're going to say it's okay we know it's not perfect we did it on purpose but we we think it's more important to give you something than you know to strive for perfection and give you something that, that is perfect um so we saw it in in lots and lots and lots of different ways at degreed but it was heartening to see I think we probably moved fast as an industry in the in the course of the last 18 months. Yeah, I think there's been a definite sort of sea change in approach to lots of things because uh, I absolutely recognise that that strive for perfection, which takes over so much of learning. And, yeah. you know, I've been frustrated over my career where you've had pushback because you've got people 
producing content that hasn't got the right branding on it's like no but the content's perfect and it's for internal use and we understand our branding or you've got you know someone producing user generated content that hasn't been signed off and approved by x person up the chain so you know perfection kicks in at that but it also as you said kicks in in terms of maybe over engineering launches of anything you know and, yeah, and we had we had organizations who'd you know stayed away from home working as long as they could or yeah. you know didn't have remote working possibilities who had no choice and you know yeah. necessity being the mother of invention they suddenly found a way to solve that problem and you know maybe it pushed us more towards this agile iterative approach of things as well and you know again the perfection stretches into our lives as well we've learned that we all you know have different situations we don't live in show homes you know we're you know we don't live these perfect lives it's sort of yeah. created that option to to be a little bit more risky to try stuff to yeah. fail to learn and to maybe do things a bit quicker in the end but maybe not so perfect but probably get better results at the end yeah yeah and also to you know i don't know how to phrase this but you know to to accept and to kind of believe and understand that the people who work within our organizations our colleagues um you know grant them the respect that they do get this stuff they don't need to have their hand held all the time you know this concept of well, we need all of um we need all of the communication tools and all the faqs and all of the supporting materials to be perfect and good to go because we've got this percentage of people you know um maybe they're in different continents or in different geographies that need a different thing from us you know but actually when you take a step back and just empower people to give to get access to things to products to services to content to collaboration actually they they can and they do they don't need us to to push them and hold their hand all the time classic example like who would have ever thought they'd be on a zoom call with their granny you know like, granny doesn't get zoom she can't use it she's got an ipad but she doesn't know what she's doing yeah she does she does she'll get on a zoom call you know and it's that concept of you know taking a step back and finding reasons not to or finding reasons to overcomplicate stuff when in reality we could just do it we could just try it we could just see what happens but i think i think that comes back to the bit where you're talking about everything being perfect and kind of over engineering yeah. stuff whereas if mm. you launch with the basics and get obviously what you need for granny to get on zoom for example so she needs a link whatever else you need to have yeah. that bit and then then you test and see around the edges where where yeah. are people's gaps in knowledge and then we'll fill those yeah. as and when but we're not going to provide them with absolutely everything and yeah. then for 90 percent of it not to be used totally and granny an 80 page document on how to use zoom yeah. she's never going to use zoom that's why <laughs> But if I sent her, you know, a WhatsApp message with a link and some simple instructions to get her started, that's all granny needs, right? Yeah. But, you know, I don't think Katie was the only person who was helping her granny through a closed window to, with sign language to help. You From know, a wheelie help you. bin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Katie. Yeah, that was my new table, the wheelie bin. <laughs> But I think we got that level of, you know, suddenly Granny had a purpose and need to use yes. Zoom. Because before she and didn't. I think that's the key thing. I think that's the key thing. You know, I, I've spoken a lot in the past about social and collaborative learning and why social and collaborative learning works in some places and where it doesn't. And one of the biggest things that we would talk about there, and I think it is a huge deal for L&D functions, is purpose. Like we can't just set up a 
an old fashioned chat room, expect people to come because we've put it there. You know, there has to be a reason for them to come. When they come there, they have to have value and then they might come back. But if they go there and it's just us waffling on about wheelie bins and grannies on Zoom, they're not going to come back to that. There has to be purpose, there has to be value. And I think that's where organisations in the past I've seen do things for doing things sake, as opposed to actually thinking about their end user and, and how to engage them and how to make it a valuable experience for them. And therefore driving adoption is hard because if yes. there's no if there's no reason for you to do it and you're being forced to do something yeah. and after all that effort to force someone to get there you go well what's in this for me what's the point of this why am i doing this i'm never going to look at it again or okay so you want me to do this every three months just to keep you happy or oh yeah. you're going to chase me once a month to log in right well and people work their way out round okay. sort of the monitoring and the metrics unless they get in there and go oh, you know, L&D team, you always just send me this rubbish compliance learning. OK, you forced me because you, yeah. you initially to go in something and actually I can see this is good. This is this is yeah. something that's going to help my job. This is something that's yeah. going to help my career. This is something that's useful. Then they'll come yeah. back. If you totally. haven't got that bit right, you can have all the adoption, change management, all the rest of the nonsense we do and it won't work and it won't yeah, be sustainable. I and and I completely agree with that. I think, you know, there is the concept of what we're doing and why we're doing it and how it feels to the individual who it's being done to. Because are we doing this for the organisation and are the individuals a part of that or are we doing this for the individuals because they're part of an organisation? Um, and I think hung up on and I've been guilty of this in the past. This is not a criticism of anybody, you know, who's working in L&D right now is, you know, we do things because we feel like the organisation needs us or wants us to. But what we don't do a good job of is making it relevant to the person who is using it or who is being engaged in it. You know, like we do it. We, a, a classic example of that, and you used it earlier, James, is, you know, a competency framework. What's the competency framework for? Who's it for? And how do you apply it? And how do you make it work for the actual person who wants to develop themselves or grow themselves or change their career path? Does it help them or does it just help an organisation to say, here's our competency framework and here are our job families and here are all the things that apply in this competency framework? I don't know. Um, I think they're organisational toolkits. I don't think they sit well with individuals. And that's why we're trying to, you know, take this movement towards skills as an approach you know a skill to me as an individual I understand that I identify with it it might be part of my role now or it might be something that I want to develop into into the future but skills are a much easier way to um, distill org needs into individuals and help me as an individual engage and want to grow my skills for the greater good of the organization um, but I'm, a, you know, one of me and a sum of greater parts, right? And I think it's it comes down to say a competency framework was probably trying to do a job of trying to sell to individuals that mm. you should be learning these skills because these are the right yeah. skills for either this level or the next level. So, you know, the intention might be good and often the intention yeah. is really good, but we're limited by you know, the tools, the systems, the org, the structures, even time, all those other constraints. So 
if you were sat so we're not just talking about zoom and grannies but if you're sat listening to this podcast and you want to take away some useful tips to how you can move your organization more towards what you talked about at the beginning of being that purposeful mm. business orientated useful to individuals type of function what are the things you should be doing considering we've all been on that journey in our yeah. careers because we've all been at somewhere on that spectrum at some time what's really would really help to you or would really help someone else some of these are I'll talk about really kind of like practical things but the first thing I would say is understand your organization's strategy and I know that sounds ridiculously simple and straightforward but the amount of L&D teams and, and organizational teams not just L&D teams that I've come across in the last 20 years who understand their organizational strategy or the part that they can play in that astounds me so the first thing I would say is look to your org strategy understand where it is you're trying to go um, and the things that you're trying to do and I would say distill that down and think about how as L&D functions you can impact that or contribute to it um, so you know if you have an organizational strategy and I've worked with strategies in the past that are really easy to, to do that with so you know I worked in an organization previously that that strategy was to by 2025 get 50% of their revenue from different products to the products that they were selling at that point in time. So that's quite an easy strategy to get behind that says, OK, what are the skills that we need to move towards those products as opposed to the products we have now? Do we have those skills within our organisation? And if we don't, how do we grow them? But the difficult part is distilling that down to what those critical skills are. And I think I would say that's where you know, I think everybody should start from an L&D perspective is the critical skills that your organisation requires in the future. What are they? Boil them down. Don't make them difficult or complicated or, you know, hundreds of them. Just distill them down to, I don't know, start somewhere, start with five, start with ten that you can tag your L&D strategy to driving and then move with that. Um, but start somewhere because one of the things that I think I've definitely done in the past is overanalyzed, overcomplicated and um, strived too much for perfection. When in reality, just starting with five or ten skills and building intervention, whatever they look like, systems, processes around them to drive the capability within the organisation is a good place to start, in my opinion that business strategy you've got innovation yeah. you've got you know changing how you sell probably changing customer base there's a huge yeah. amount of things you can get in there that probably has a lot of weight across the organization and you can get in and talk businesses language because you can then start yeah. to talk about okay what's your local or functional or regional strategy that you're taking and employing for this and you've got a skills based solution you've already got people who are wanting to solve that because it's part of the business rather than rolling up with your list of courses that aren't yeah. quite aligned to what that's doing so yeah I think that's a great place to start speaking the same language as the business speaking business language not speaking you know in in HR terms or HR context but aligning yourself really with the 
the commercial conversations that happen in the organisation, talking about goals, talking about ambitions, talking about strategy and targets, but also aligning your L&D measures of success to what the organisation again is trying to achieve or the challenges that the organisation is articulating. Um, because, and again, this is another kind of rabbit warren that we could go down, but you know, how as L&D teams we talk about our successes and some places we talk about them as usage or consumption as opposed to outputs and um, actual impact. So I think a lot of what we can do is align ourselves much more closely with those business conversations and those business languages, which is my point earlier, you know, be a business professional that is driving learning initiatives and is driving the skill economy within your organisation. Don't be an L&D person that does business context off the side of your desk, like drive the commercial value of what you're doing because it is awesome and because it is impacting that organisation in ways that only you know and only you can articulate. So I own that and, and, you know, be that conversation, I'd say. I, I definitely agree with that and I, I, how I've always positioned myself in, in my career is I'm a business person who may happen to have an HR lens at the moment or might happen to have you know an L&D or a people focus but ultimately I'm there to help the business and I, I think that would be my advice is reframe if if where you see yourself in the organisation and where you see your loyalties your alignment etc because if anyone takes their professional silo and their professional hat into a meeting, all they take is those items that are thrown in that specific silo. So it's like going in and sitting around the board table as an HRL and D person and only piping up when it happens to be the people issue or the people section yeah. of the board report, rather than talking about the holistic business elements and having a view on everything and having an understanding of everything. And again, recognising that if you do that, you're going to identify solutions that aren't learning. And sometimes you have to partner because your learning solution without the scaffolding of policy, process, focus, targets, reward, and everything else that comes around that, won't go anywhere it will you know it if you get a load of people that are going we agree that your part of this your skills bit is integral with everything else they're aligned and they're joined that to me is where the L and d team's job is is to think about because if you do it and just go right i've listened and you need something on innovation skills and you go away and you yeah. do your innovation skills development and you put it on your learning platform or you put on some you know uh lunch and learns or you put on whatever you're going to do or what full day workshops or you bring in a world leading thinker to put together a program if you don't have the rest around it that's going to have minimal impact so to me it's yeah. it's that holistic view of not only the business but the solutions as well you can't just own the l d section of the solution in isolation you also need to give people freedom as well um so the people that are in that role in those roles that you're providing this training to so, so they're the they're the experts in that subject aren't they right so i think that's where people kind of go wrong and and try and create all this great content for them but don't get them involved in it um so that's probably how you don't get buy-in as well from some of this whereas if you kind of flip that and get them involved 
um, have them in videos, have them creating content, etc. That's when you get more of a buy in from the people that are then taking that training because it's kind of relatable to them and it's more on their peer group. Um, and I think then you're giving people the freedom to do that. I think but we forget that people are adults and people yeah. aren't going to put stupid things up necessarily and everyone panics and think that, that that's what's going to happen but actually people care about their jobs as well and will create really great things it just won't look like you're marketing that's all and that's fine yeah and I think that's so true fine um you know like nobody you're, you're policing your own personal brand internally within organizations externally on LinkedIn on Facebook on Instagram on Twitter whatever it is you're doing you know and like you say Katie that's such a valid point people do care about their personal brands whatever that whatever that is and yeah it might not align with the brand police exists within your organization but it doesn't mean that it's not valuable content and and valuable contributions that is is coming that are coming from your organization so you've talked a little bit about sort of people caring um we've talked a little bit about sort of the skills economy and you know changing a focus to being on skills output rather than sort of course input so how mm. do we get our audiences if they care to think about a new way of development and what do we need to do to get those people equally engaged in in what we're going to do differently in the future i think that is that's a really difficult thing to do um but i think there are people within every organization that want to play a part and they want to have a role and i think part of it is organizationally being brave and just taking the the blinkers and the controls off where you've done the risk analysis and you think it's okay to do that right um because i think once other people see other people contributing there's less nervousness there's less fear they see other people you know contributing sharing and how much that's appreciated across the organization how much that's shared and consumed and how nothing terrible happened and other people get you know kind of buoyed up by that and they want to become more involved i think Organisationally, though, I do think it is about being brave and inviting people to contribute in whatever way they're comfortable with. And like I say, I don't think that's an easy thing to do. But I think it starts with the organisation taking a step back from this pursuit of perfection and saying we value the contributions that our, our colleagues make. So let's let's let them do it. Um, and there are, you know, we're not here to talk about tools and technology, but there are lots of tools and technologies that can help you to take that tacit knowledge from within your organisation and share it and make it explicit. But I don't think it's easy. And, and I think it, it has to start with that empowerment. And I also think it has to, has to be valuable to the people that you're asking to contribute to. So I would probably start there and I would ask people Again, I would align it with these core skills that we've identified as an organisation. I'd get people to contribute. I'd look at how you could segment those contributors so that you could have maybe advocates or champions within the organisation that start a movement. And those advocates and champions then become responsible for, you know, engaging or recruiting other people to, you know, drive comfort 
um, in sharing and consuming and all of those kinds of things, creating content. We all know there are people within organisations um, generationally, if I can be so, you know, kind of assumptive, that are comfortable with creating content, that can share their skills about creating good content um, and, and help other people to do the same thing. But the other thing I think in addition to that is that we should not underplay the role that leaders have in driving some of this um, behaviour change and some of this, you know, encouragement to get people to create content and to help other people to create content and to drive that concept of engagement, sharing, collaboration, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I think leaders have a huge role to play in that and not in um, a bureaucratic way, but in an empowering and encouraging and rewarding way. Um, because I think it's a culture in most organisations that you're trying to change and cultures take an awfully long time to move. Yeah, you touched upon lots of things there, but if we look back and take, I'm going to take that competency framework example we took, you know, that was done because you'd go away, you try and solve a problem, you cate this and then you try and get some champions. You've talked, you know, talked about champions to understand that, embed it, get people to buy into it. You know, we're maybe in a different position now where we can be braver as organisations and go, yeah. here's our organisational objective. We as an HR and D team are not going to go and squirrel ourselves away in a room and maybe invite you to some, you know, workshops or focus groups. We, we're actually, you know, and come back with this fate accompli in six to 12 to 18 months time and go, here's this lovely competency framework and you go, Where's that come? What is it? And what uses of, of it to me? Whereas we can actually sit down with people and go, this is the business problem we've got. This is what we're trying to achieve. What do you need to be doing differently? And we can have more of those engagement conversations. And I know some people don't want to engage. Some people do yeah. just want to be told what they need to do. But yeah. there are enough people who care in an organisation or at least interested that if you can create the time and empower them, and use the tools that are out there. You can create a different way of doing things, which is more iterative, yeah. that yeah. can allow you to tackle problems collaboratively. And ultimately yeah. isn't about a course, isn't no. normally about content either. It's about com no. conversation, collaboration, sharing, challenge. You know, when I think about how I learn, I don't just take what someone tells me. I want to have a conversation about it. I want to test it out. I want to challenge the ideas. I want to look at other possibilities. So that yeah. curiosity you can foster in people to to help you on that journey means it's not just you and the L&D team solving the problem. You're actually getting far more resource across the organisation engaged in what you're trying to do. Yeah, and, and what I can tell you is, you know, um, across the organisations that we've been working with in the last 12 to 18 months that, that I can talk about personally, you know, um, that is the population of people that is growing, that population of people who do want to contribute, they do want to collaborate, they are looking for ways to add value, whatever that looks like. Like you say, there will always be, you know, I call them the 10 percenters, there'll always be the 10 percenters that don't want to get involved and that's okay, they're replacing organisations, you know, it's not a criticism. But by failing the vast majority of people and not giving them an opportunity to contribute, to vent, to build, to collaborate, what I, I would kind of say, 
what do we do by not giving them that opportunity to collaborate or to co-create with us as an organization you know do they go and work somewhere else do they look for organizations that are giving them that opportunity yeah they do they do um and one of the other things i've seen which has been really interesting um is organizations using the concept of crowdsourcing um to help them build their skill frameworks um, so, you know, we have these hundreds of roles within organisations and HR stroke L&D stroke leadership stroke execs think that we know for each of those roles, the skills that are required for them. And we probably got a good idea, but actually the people that do those roles are the ones who know the skills that are required for them. So why are we trying to do to them? You know, why aren't we asking them to contribute and to tell us what they think the skills are that are required for their role and meeting somewhere in the middle? And I've worked with a interest in organisations that have done that crowdsourcing work to build their skills framework so that their organisation is contributing to something that means something to them, that they've co-created, that they have skin in the game for and that they can get behind. And the impact and the buy-in in those organisations is significantly higher than in other organisations where we just say, here's a competency framework or here's a skills framework and here's where your job fits in that. Um, and some of the technologies that are out there now can help with inferences um, across skills ontologies and things like that, which is really helpful. But fundamentally, when you boil it down to engagement, contribution, skin in the game. I think that's that crowdsourcing to build skill frameworks, whatever you want to call it, that bit that goes around your job and the job that's next to yours. Um, there's no better contributor to, to that than the person doing the job right now. And I think it's creating that trust and openness and, you know, regardless yeah. of the tools or the infrastructure you have in place, far too often we ignore you know those people doing the actual jobs whether it's in yeah. the redesign of the role whether it's in the evolution of the role you know think about industries maybe where particular roles are challenged so you're looking at this role we know is going to disappear because of automation or because of a change yeah. of a business model or a change of a customer behavior those people aren't necessarily stupid but you know we sort of have this view in hr that we sit and go okay we can't really talk to them about this we maybe need to think about it and we need we can only talk to them when we've got a plan of exactly what's going to yeah. happen to them and therefore rather than go to them early and go look we see this coming we want you to be involved in what you think are the opportunities the changes because we know through lots of changes in business it just means an adaptation of role and often those yeah. people there understand the nuance of the role they're delivering and the change to the new way and what might be needed or how they can help that or the additional skills or the other roles we won't have foreseen and i think too often we try and do things remotely without engaging people and i think that goes across the piece for hr l d whether that's putting courses together whether that's doing as you said skills taxonomy or frameworks or whatever it happens to be or role redesign and, and visioning of future organisations should be far more collaborative. So given the changes we're talking about and, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, roles changing, roles evolving. What do you think L&D teams need to be doing more of and what, what are their skills looking like in the future? I work with a lot of L&D teams that fear technology, I'd say, and that see it as I'm now a person who um, curates content or is an administrator 
for a, a piece of technology. And I would urge those L&D people to really think very carefully about um, how they kind of work alongside that, right? Because L&D is always going to be needed within an organisation. Um, the part that you play may change and become different and the routes that you take may evolve, but there's always going to be a role for L&D within an organisation. And so I would urge everybody who works in an L&D function to understand the way that technology can enable an organisation, understand the way that that technology can um, enable you to do more with your skills and experience and can change cultures within within businesses. The other thing I would say is upskill in commercial thinking, upskill in strategic thinking, upskill in commercial understanding and just understand how your L&D function within your business is contributing to the organization's success because it is um, there is no question about that but make sure that you know as a function how that is and that you can distill that down and explain it and talk about it think about how you can articulate the impact you're having in organizations so that you can celebrate the successes that you have um, and, and just i would say you know be in front of those technology developments as they come because they are coming and they will enable you to do more um, they will empower your organisations to achieve more. And, you know, for you as an L&D person, it allows you to impact organisational culture in a way that you haven't been able to to before. But my, you know, overriding piece of advice is be a business professional first um, and an L&D specialist empowers that um, and develop the skills that, that you need to be able to have those conversations. I think um, the irony with what you've kind of just said as well, it's like you need to upskill because things are adapting and that's what people in LRD are trying to do for other roles, but they're yeah. not actually doing it for themselves. Completely. And we have a saying, I don't know how well it translates or if it's a global um, translation, but, you know, we're cobbler's children as L&D people. We all have holes in the bottoms of our shoes because <laughs> our parents are too busy fixing everybody else's shoes. And it's exactly the same in L&D. You know, we're always... Um, we always put ourselves at the back of the queue and really I think to be an L&D professional in the world as it is right now you have to have a passion for learning you have to have a passion for lifelong learning and you have to be able to prioritize yourself as well as everybody else and that's not always easy um, but yeah even if you're taking the six minutes a day that allegedly you need to reduce stress to read a book um, that's development you know if you're spending time in in nature learning about flowers or whatever it is that's development but try to figure out organizationally or you know professionally the areas that you want to grow and make it a priority it's not easy because we're always so busy being busy but it's critical for, for long-term success for you as an individual so you know i would say pay yourself first find the time and and you know figure out what, what you want to grow um, I think a lot of it to me always comes back to values and often people rail in L&D against some of the changes because they feel or they express that it's, good, it's going against their values. And I, I try and roll that back and go, well, you know, if you've got a belief that learning can only happen in the classroom, you're mm. missing all of those things you've just talked about, Chrissy, of yeah. actually reflection, reading, conversation, challenge. We learn in all sorts of places. and. If if you're in learning and you're there to help people, 
you know I, I talk about originally you could facilitate a room or a person you can now facilitate organizations because of the technology out there you can have a far greater reach and impact so rail back to what it is that you're in learning and development for and quite yeah. honestly if you're in learning development because you like being the center of attention and being at the front of the room and sharing your knowledge with people there's a role for you too but it isn't probably in an L&D role it's maybe being a subject matter expert or it's yeah. maybe being in a slightly different role within the organization but mm -hmm. it's about understanding where your role your skills your passion your drive is because you know we can upskill people but if that's misaligned to their passion and values then where else in an organization can you be adding more value because there will mm -hmm. be spaces for you but that traditional everyone comes to me I'm in control I control knowledge you listen to me I tell you answers I love the adoration of an audience <laughs> you can get that you know you can get that through social media likes follows whatever you can get that you know again there's gamification in learning platforms or whatever but really roll back and say why is it that you're doing those things is it for you or is it for everyone else and I think if you take it down that it's for everyone else and you start thinking about actually a new way of doing things could help everyone else in a far more effective way and that's not saying that anything you've done in the past is wrong because that's the best you could do at the time but there is now a way of impacting an organization and impacting people in a far more effective way than we would have done 10 five years ago or even a couple of years ago so keep that evolution keep that learning going yeah i, I totally agree and i think it's a great point you know like just to take it back to why why are you in L&D and what is it that you're trying to achieve because passion drives most of us and you know if you're not passionate about driving organizational skill knowledge experience development um, impact then yeah I would question whether you should be in L&D um, and if you are whether you're doing your best work there no, I think it's a great point to end on that actually if you rail back this all starts with ourselves, our passion our purpose yeah. and if we understand that about ourselves we should also rail that forward to our audiences as well because you know our audiences are going to have different passions different interests sometimes they're going to want to be involved in that crowdsourcing because they're interested and passionate about it other times they're not doesn't mean the next time that you want to crowdsource something or collaborate and innovate they won't get engaged because it's something that's closer to their level of passion so I think that's a great leaving message that you know L&D is about helping people realize their passions place themselves effectively in the business to help that perform and that should fulfill the passions and purpose of that L&D person as well Thank you for listening to this episode of the Learning Reinvented podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you've not already done so, please follow our podcast. And if the learning effect can help you and your organisation, please do get in touch. You can find both James and Katie on LinkedIn and our contact details are in the show notes below.